Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. We are excited for you guys to be here. Uh, if you haven't met me before, my name is Margot. I'm the Wear Love Pastor, so yeah, you're not seeing things. Brent is not up here today because they just welcomed a new member into their family, so we gave them some time off. There's, you know, kind of being there for Kylie is kind of important, so... He gave him a week off, and uh, for those of you wondering, if you're here last week, he made some jokes about what Clive would look like and that. So I decided to go to the source. I went to his new big sister, Jovi. She's four. And I said, are you excited to be a big sister? She said, yeah, yeah. And I said, is he cute? And she said, well, his belly button is still growing up. So that's the official, official word on the source. Uh, but I've, I've seen photos. He's a cutie, so they lucked out. Four for four, adorable children. Uh, but yeah, I'm the Wear Love Pastor. Sometimes you'll see me up here. When I'm not up here, I'm trying to make connections in the community for East Lakers that want to give back. So it's a great job. Love it. But we're going to continue. This is week two of our series, Louder Than Words, and it's a series on character. And we wanted to talk about character because when push comes to shove, we, we discovered that we care more about other people's character, other people doing the right thing, than sometimes we care about us doing the right thing, right? We want our boss to always do the right thing. We want our people driving next to us on the highway to do the right thing. But sometimes we don't hold ourselves to the high of a standard. It bothers us a lot more when, when you don't do the right thing rather than when I don't do the right thing. So we decided to take some time to look at character. What is good character? How do we get it? Why is it important? And that's what this series is about. If you, after hearing this talk, are interested in all about hearing week one, you can find that talk and all of our other talks on Eastlake, tricities.com slash talks. That's our little webpage. Or just go into iTunes, look under your podcast, Eastlake Tricities. You'll find our Sunday talks, and you'll also find me and Brent banter and talk about really random things. This last week we talked about weird things on Oprah's wish list or hundred things. So if you want to hear more or just hear us be silly, uh, you can find both of those podcasts as well on iTunes. But week two, we're going to dive right in. And I wanted to, to think about, uh, before we get too far into this series, we talked about what is character a little bit last week. And now it's like, well, how do we, how do we get there? Like, I kind of have an idea of what good character is, but how do, we, how do we navigate, how do we get to that point where we've achieved it, where we've got it, where it's something that's tangible? And to me, looking through the stories about what I wanted to talk about, one thing became really clear in a lot of the stories I looked through, and I saw that, that God is more interested in what's going on inside of us than outside in the world at large. And that, that, can be, that can seem really confusing because when things get tough, what do we pray for? We pray for outside things. We pray for to get the job, right? We pray that the, that the relationship will improve. We pray that our coworkers will be nicer. We pray that the roof will get fixed. We pray that the car will stay in one piece through the winter. We pray for a lot of external things. But we don't normally pray for our heart or our, how we feel about it. We're just like, God, change the situation out there. And very rarely do we find ourselves praying, God, change the situation in here. So to, to, to be sure that I wasn't just coming up with this, <laughs> I looked through and I, and I saw a lot of examples of that that was God's first agenda. God's number one priority is actually internal change. Not that he doesn't work in the external, not that he doesn't move things around in the external, but his number one priority actually is internal change. 
And to, before we get too, too far into this, if this is your first time to Eastlake or you've been coming one or two times and you're getting a little antsy here, I just want to throw out the caveat that we like to tell people that we're church for people that typically aren't into church. And what that means is, um, I know I've gone through a lot of churches and experienced a lot of things, and typically what happens when you walk into a church experience on a Sunday is, I have all the answers for you. And you just need to accept that and go with that. And I'm giving you, you know, if you, don't, if you don't agree with me, then you can find another seat or you can do something else with your time. And we don't like to operate like that because real people have real questions about God and about faith. And real people need to, to figure out what, what it means to, to explore faith in their life. So I just like to think that this is a place where you get free coffee, free child hair, and you can sit and, and listen about who God is and what his character's like. And it's up to you, whether that's just something that you're like, oh, well, that's something that's, that's nice and I can take bits and pieces, or if that's something that you want to explore further, this is the space. It's, there's no ticking talk above your head saying, all right, if they, you don't sign on the dotted line in three weeks, we need your chair. It's not like that. So feel free to keep coming, keep drinking the coffee. We think that um, even a Bible story has something that everyone can take from it whether you're fully, fully on board the faith train or just exploring it. Uh, so the biggest example to me that God is focused on internal change, I think, is in the story of Jesus. So even if you're not really familiar with Christianity, I think you'd say, like, what's Christianity all about? And people would say, uh, Jesus, right? That's the Sunday school answer. The answer to everything is Jesus. So for me, I was the recovering Catholic as a kid. Christmas, Easter, you know, First Communion. And it was really surprising to me when I actually opened up like that big decorative white Bible with the gold edges that my mom had like on a corner bookshelf. It was really surprising to me that the, the, the part, the Easter story, that the, it didn't end there. I'm like, why? There's a whole section after the Easter story. Like, what's this about? For Catholics, it kind of like, they may, if you only go to Easter and Christmas, you may think the story ends at the cross. If you're Baptist, you may think it ends with Jesus coming back to life and then ascending to heaven. But there's a whole other section of the Bible, and why did God not just end the story there? If the focus of Christianity is Jesus, why doesn't it end when, when his narrative ends? And I think it's because if, the, if Christianity was completely dependent on the physical person of Jesus and his ministry, then the church would have died when he no longer was on earth. It would have stopped. There's nothing else to tell. I mean, the, the head pastor of the church, he's moved on, and the church shuts down. But in fact, why is it that statistically the church grew more when Jesus wasn't there in person doing all of the ministry? It actually grew more when he wasn't there, which is really confusing. If Christianity is all about Jesus, why did that happen? Why was it even higher growth than when Jesus was physically doing his own ministry. And that's because if you look at it, it shows that God knew that we, the human condition, needs something on the inside, needs something that's internal instead of something always tangible, something that we could take with us everywhere, a permanent connection to the, the source of knowledge, to the source of wisdom, to the source of love, the source of grace. We needed that, that constant Connection is something constantly feeding into us, something constantly guiding us, not a smartphone. That's like the nowadays, we always have it on us. It's constantly you know, feeding information to us, constantly connecting us. No, something even better than the smartphone. Do you realize, look at it, I'm doing the little rabbit trail here. 
I don't memorize my phone numbers anymore. <laughs> I can remember my, my household number when I was a kid, 2245661. I kind of got easy. I'm not giving you the area code because I don't want you to bother the poor people on Ad Adonis Court. But uh, we, don't, we don't memorize things anymore because we have access to it at all times. I actually, we got a computer in our household when I was in the second grade, and I blame it for being a horrible speller because I always had word processor or something to fix my mistakes for me. So I never actually learned to memorize things. It kind of creates a laziness. We don't have to memorize phone numbers, but what happens when we don't have a computer, when we don't have our phone on us, we don't know how to function. Like if there's an emergency, I wouldn't be able to call my husband or even Eastlake to help me out. I'd be in trouble. It matters what we have on the inside because if we're always relying on something external, there's gonna be gaps, there's gonna be holes, there's gonna be things that come up and it's gonna fail us. And, and for, for, Christi for Christians, we see that God's solution by kind of weaning us off relying on a physical person for the early church, he says, I don't want you to rely on a physical person because then you're not gonna grow. Instead, I'm gonna send you something that's better. Jesus even says, you think I'm, that's awesome doing life with me, I'm gonna give you something better, something better. And that's what, what the Christian faith would call the Holy Spirit, which is something that lives in us, something that helps us get through the day, it powers us, it helps us make better choices, it's that internal connection, it's that battery. For me, it's that voice in my head saying, two bags of Doritos is kind of excessive. I mean, he shows up in all different kinds of ways. But internal things, internal things have far more value than external things. And it's hard as Americans to rewrite that perspective, though, that we should be working and praying on what's inside. I mean, there are people that can view, like maybe you know them, that person that no matter what happens in their life, they're able to do that. They're just like, well, I'm just going to learn to dance in the rainstorms and, you know, every cloud has a silver lining and, you know, God's just trying to teach me something during this trial. And you kind of want to shake them because you're like, are you not aware at how awful things are? Are you not just overwhelmed with grief at this loss? Are you not just discouraged by this workplace environment? Are you not just feeling hopeless by this relationship that's just falling apart? It's, it's really hard to rewrite our perspective to be like that. And it makes me, me, like, it makes me frustrated because it would be so much easier in my mind if God would just fix everything externally. If God would just fix that relationship, if God would just fix my workplace, if God would just fix my finances, then I'd be great. And God's saying, well, why am I going to spend all of this effort fixing the external when really the best thing for you is if I fix your heart and fix your perspective on things? And that's because the external is temporal, which means temporary. And I feel temporary for us as, as Americans is kind of confusing because you're saying, all right, you're saying my workplace is temporary? Uh, I've been doing this job for 20 years and it has not gotten any better. Or you're saying, I'm a single mom. I'm, I'm in this for 30 years of doing this on my own for all I know. That's not temporary. That is a long time. That is a long struggle. I've had this illness since birth. Don't tell me that that's temporary. But what temporary means in this context is that Eventually, it's going to change. Eventually, the chapter in your life is going to look different. Eventually, politics are going to change or the weather's going to change. I know in the middle of winter, it can feel like this is not temporary, the snow and the ice. But that's life. Life changes. 
Life goes on, people come, people go. It's not eternal, it's just temporary, it's for a season. And so, yes, God does work in the external. Occasionally we, we see things or hear about things, but I believe that every single day God is working on what's going on within us because that's truly what matters. That's truly what lasts. Because at the end of the day, if you lose your job, you lose your relationships, you lose your house, you lose all the external things, you're still stuck with yourself. You still have to, to, to like the person you see in the mirror. You still have to be able to function. At the end of the day, we're all we got in this external focused world. So God wants to work on us because that is the most important thing, to work on what's inside. And you may be saying, all right, God works on people's inside all the time. I am definitely not seeing that. I know some coworkers where God must have lost the tool belt. Uh, maybe the work permit didn't get through on so-and-so because I do not see God working on that person. And it's, it gets frustrating, I understand that. So what is it that he's doing? What, is it working, what do you mean he's working on us? And there's one, one word that came up time and time again when I was looking through um, the Bible, and it said renewal. God is renewing us. And, and the verse that, that I came across that I really enjoyed was found in 2 Corinthians, and this is uh, the translation, or the trans, yeah, the translation of this is the Amplified Translation, which just to, I want to pre preface that, it's, um, so the Bibles are in Hebrew, Greek. It doesn't always translate very well to English because, for instance, they would have like six, six different words for love, and we just have love because America. I don't know. I don't know why we have a, such a simplified language. So instead, they, they kind of expand like, yeah, it's love, but it's this type of love. So we see the parentheses that's just expanding, giving us a better view of what the original translation said. So it says, this is, this is what it says, therefore we do not become discouraged. And discouraged can mean spiritless, disappointed, afraid. We don't become afraid. We don't become disappointed. Though our outer self is progressively wasting away, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. And that was in a letter that was written to the Corinthians church, like one of the letters, like the second letter. Not may not necessarily be the second chronological letter, but second letter that we have to the Corinthian church. And it says this, and that makes sense to me. I think the second half makes a lot, a lot of sense. Even if we're not churchy people, the outer self is being progressively wasting away. I had a friend that told me, you know you're in your 30s because you have purse aspirin and you have home aspirin. Like that, that to me... I know, I know full well that the outer is progressively wasting away. I'm not able to do things as quickly or as well as I was, as I was when I was a kid. That makes sense. But it says, yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day by day. And to me, that's encouraging that it says progressively because it's not a light switch. It's not a light switch moment. Uh, when, when you decide to go down the journey for Christian faith, you don't meet too many people that go to bed and then wake up and they're like Richard Simmons, you know, energy and positivity and just go, go, go. It doesn't really work that way. Progressively means it's a process. Step by step by step, we get renewed. We get, we get built into a better, a better creation. And, and it makes sense. And, but how do you renew something? How do you, how do you start over? And it, you have to start by getting rid of the old, right? If you have nails, you have to take off the old nail polish before you put on the new, otherwise you look like Frankenstein nails or something. If you're redoing a piece of furniture, you have to sand off the old paint 
or the old varnish before you put the new on, otherwise it'll bubble and flake and not stay on. If you got some shiplap, you gotta sand down the shiplap before you put that Joanna Gaines white paint on it and make it look beautiful. Uh, but you gotta sand off. There's a, there's a process of removing before renewing. And what that tells me is that becoming a Christian doesn't guarantee change. Renewal does. Just because you check the box that says, yeah, like I think I identify as this, like I can buy into this, that doesn't mean that you're going to be a different person. It doesn't mean that, that your ability to handle what life, hand, life gives you is going to instantly be just so easy and so light and airy and free. Being a Christian does not guarantee change, but allowing yourself to be renewed does. And I know some of you know Christians, and you're like, being a Christian does not guarantee change, and you're going to need that person aspirin because you're nodding so vehemently. <laughs> I know Christians that are not very changed people. It does not guarantee, being a Christian does not even guarantee the development of great character. But renewal does. When we let God create renewal in us, it does. And this is a huge departure from the original approach, or maybe the approach that you thought coming into this like, character. And the, the old approach is this. I'm going to figure out what my flaws are, and then I'm going to try to do better. I know I'm not great at this, this, and this, so I guess I'll try to do this, this, and this. And that's, it's not a bad system. It, logically, it makes sense. But all that that means is that the best I can do with that system is be a better me. I can be, I can be a better Margot if I really work on this, this, and this. But see, with the best thing about Christianity is it says that we aren't called to be a better us, to be the best that we can be. We're actually called to be made in the image of Christ, which means we're called to be something way better than we can actually do from our own strength, own wisdom, own efforts, and to me, the best analogy for this is a car one. So yes, I'm away from the shiplap and nail polish for you men in the audience. So uh, say you have a car. It's, I'm born in 88. I can't think of 88 models. But say you, like my first car was a 99 Taurus, and that thing was awful. It had headlights that didn't work, so it was a daytime car, which in New Hampshire meant during the winter I had like three hours I could drive it. The, the windshield wipers didn't work. It had no AC. The thing was falling apart. And I could spend years on that car. I could polish it up. I could detail, clean all that crazy, like the weird patterned interior. I could spend a lot of time and a lot of effort making that the best junky car it could be. But in the end, it would just be a really shiny, junky car. There's a limit. There's a limit to what I can do with it, with the raw materials. And, the, and what Christianity says, yeah, you can go about it that way, and all you'll ever have is the shiny old car, or I can give you the keys to a Tesla that I've paid for, I've maintained, that I have purchased, and let you drive it. Being Christianity is not being the best we can be. It's saying, all right, Jesus sets the example, and guess what? He actually lets me take advantage and benefit from that example, be close to it and, and drive that car instead of the old model. The old model of just finding my faults and fixing them, it's limited. 
because it's based on my own power, my own ability to refrain from doing this, and we know that we aren't great at that. But the new model says it's not about what you can do, it's about what I have done, and the new model is limitless. The old model is limited. The new model is limitless. The old model is entirely dependent on our efforts, our skills, our self-discipline, and the new model is entirely uh, dependent on his power, his grace, and his willingness to be in relationship with us. It takes the responsibility off of us. It takes the weight off of us. My ability to be a person of great character, of godly character, is actually not dependent on how good I am at being good. Thank goodness for that. I, maybe you've had the church experience where it feels like that, where it's all about how good you can be. That's your value. No, God broke that system. He says it's not dependent on how good I am at being good. It's dependent on my proximity. Am I in relationship with God? Or am I half-heartedly plucking away at this task on my own? Proximity, being close to. There was a camp skit that we used to do. I was a camp counselor for nine years, which might explain a whole lot if you know me. I apologize. Uh, But we had this skit that the kids loved, and it went a little bit like this. It was about proximity, being close. It shows a guy that goes to a doctor's office for his checkup, So he sits down, the the waiting room's empty for once, that never happens, that's why it's a skit. So he sits down in the waiting room, and he's waiting, waiting, and a guy comes in, and he has a cold, and he's blowing his nose, and suddenly the guy that just came for the checkup, his nose starts to run, and he gets all congested, and now he has a stuffy nose too, and he's like, great, I went to the office healthy, I'm coming out sick, so he's still waiting, and then a second person enters the waiting room, and they have a rash, and they're itching and scratching everything, And now the poor first guy, his nose is running, and now all of a sudden, he has an itch. So he's blowing his nose, he's itching. A third person enters with a sprained ankle, and the guy goes, oh, and all of a sudden his ankle sprains up, he can't put any weight on it, so he's blowing his nose, he's itching, he's grabbing his ankle, and then lastly, a woman enters nine months pregnant, and he says, I'm out of here. He goes, he runs away. So I don't know about you, But I'm glad that we're not made in that same condition where we just pick up what's around us. But wouldn't it be kind of cool? Maybe not the disease part, but, or pregnancy part. uh, (laughs) But wouldn't it be cool if just by being close to someone, we could pick up something from them? We could pick up a skill. I would be in Gold's Gym, like, eating my two bags of Doritos, being like, 20 more crunches for you, sir. I'm just going to stand here and watch the magic happen. Or maybe we'd go to a concert and try to sit as close to, like, the instrumentalists that you liked, and you'd leave being able to play drums or guitar. I'd think that the Olympics would have record attendance. I mean, you'd go, like huffing and puffing just to tie your shoe, and then you'd leave being a track star, it would be pretty great. Chaotic, but great. And yet, that's actually how the process of godly character works. God says you want to actually make a change. You want to react to situations in your life differently. You want to have peace. You want to not be shaken by the external things. You want to grow in integrity and unshakable conviction and peace. Well, you can study it all you want, how to be a better person, but the real key is getting as close to the source as possible. And and a good example of getting close to the source reminded me of the process of making wine. We're living in wine country, 
And I learned a lot about wine in this last year because previously I worked with the Salvation Army and one of their biggest ministries is rehab centers. And so they have a lot of people that struggle with um, their relationship with alcohol and drugs. And so when you work for the Salvation Army, you don't drink, not because it's evil or anything like that, but it's more like I, every day I'm with 30 people that are really struggling with their relationship with alcohol and I'm in it with you. Like, I'm not going to drink during this time period, not because it's bad, because I want to show you that I'm in it with you. Someone is with you on this journey supporting you. So I go from that environment to living in wine country. <laughs> and then I met my wonderful husband, and his family makes and sells wonderful wine. But it was a whole education for me to understand the process and why rocky soil is good or sun is good or sun is bad and there's so much to it but one of the more interesting things about wine branches is how you need to position them to get the nutrients that they need and there's a lot of bible verses about vines and if the vine doesn't uh, produce the fruit you want just cut it off but another translation says don't cut it off but lift it up which i was like lift it up why what does that mean and grape vines, if they're down too low, if they're in the shade of the other vines, and they don't get the sunlight they need, they're not going to produce the fruit that they need. So what the vineyard people will do is they'll take the vine that's down too low, it's not, it's not in a good place, and they will lift it and tie it to lift it up to get it to the sun, to get the exposure that it would need it, to get it closer to the source. And our lives are like that. Sometimes we get in ruts, we get in shadows, we get overwhelmed by all the, the things that are going on. And what we need to do is lift ourselves out of that and say, I can't change much, but I'm going to change my position. I'm going to go from just staying in my rut to positioning myself where I can actually be close to the source of what I really need, the strength that I need, the peace that I need for this, this time period. And we have the option. It's up to us. God doesn't force us to be closer to him. So we have to decide, will we work with him in the process? Will I say, I don't really know how I feel about faith and what it looks like to, to walk down that path, but I'm willing to give it a try? Are we going to work with him in the process? Will we ignore the process saying, I don't have a problem, or I just, I'm going to pretend there's not even a solution and just stay where I am? Or will we actually work against him in the process and say, I'm not, it's not worth it. It's not worth trying something new. It's not worth putting myself out there. It's not worth the vulnerability. What will people say? So I'm just going to actually continue to do what I've done and expect a different result. It's hard. It's hard to take our old attitudes towards things, our old thoughts about relationships that we have, sp our spouse, our parents, our attitude towards coworkers, our thoughts about our finances, our thoughts about people that have different political affiliations with us. It's hard to take all of that and to remove it, to sand it away. But that's exactly what he's asking us to do. That's exactly what starts the process of renewal. He wants us to remove it, and not just remove it, but to actually replace it with something. To replace it with his attitude, his perspective, 
And when we begin to see as God sees, we will begin to respond as God would respond, which is with a lot more patience and a lot more grace than I can respond on my own. So when we begin to see as he sees and respond as he responds, then actually this third process happens, which is kind of crazy. We actually will be more likely to do as he says, which is to listen to that instruction, that stuff in the Bible that didn't make sense when you first started exploring this. It's like, oh, now that I understand how much God loves people and how God wants the best for people, this actually makes sense to me. But it doesn't when we just read it straight up. When I know a lot of times uh, people that are trying to read the Bible for the first time, they'll either like start at the beginning and then they'll get lost somewhere in like the thou shall not drink the blood of calves and they're like, what is this? Or, they, like, or they'll just open it up to a random page and put their finger down and then you get like Hosea, like their skirt shall be lifted over their heads and you're like, what is this book? This is, children read this? <laughs> but... The better way to go about it is to put ourselves close to the source. I, one of my favorite uh, quotes about the Bible is, the Bible is the only book that you can read where you can have the author present with you <laughs> to explain it to you, to make it understandable to you. And this, when we, when we begin to see things as he sees, this actually frees us from that old cycle of going down the same road on our own and coming up to the same things that trip us up every time because it's not our power, it's not our car. The same frustrations, the same bad habits, the same addictions suddenly don't trip us up anymore because we're operating from a different mindset. We're operating from a different source of power. We can't break those cycles though, doing the same old thing with our same old limitations. Renewal breaks down our resistance to God's rule in our life. And that's, that's really hard, especially if you're not sure how you feel about, about church and faith. God's rule in my life, instantly you're like, ugh. Like, I, I don't want people to tell me how to live my life. Like, I get frustrated when my husband tells me how I should do this. Or husband, you're like, I get frustrated when my wife tells me the best way to clean this dish that I've been cleaning for 30 years. There's something in the human condition that instantly, whenever we're instructed or told to do something, it's this, ugh even if it's something good. I mean, if you, you're a teenager in your life, your parents can be giving you basic, smart advice, but because they're telling you, don't do this, you go, ugh, I'm gonna do it anyways. And for me, like, I was such a bad kid, I would not do homework, I know, I know, I was, I was a rebel. But just because I hated when my mom would be like, did you do your homework? And I would get so frustrated. I'm sorry, mom, in advance. I know it's going to come back to haunt me. Actually, it did. I was a tutor for the last 10 years, so I had to do 10 years of other kids' homework. So that just goes to kids, do your homework now. So, but there's, what is it about being instructed to do something that just creates this resistance in us? And it just makes us, I don't want to, I don't want someone to tell me what to do. And you hear a lot of people that grew up in the church, and they get tired because of that oh, well, the Bible's just a big, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. My youth pastor's on me all the time. Do this, do this, my parents, do this. And what happens is you're trying to do good, you're trying to be good, you're trying to be good, and eventually it gets exhausting. And you're like, I don't, I don't wanna do this anymore. So you do your own thing, you go your own road, and usually you end up back in a seat because you're like, man, I got beat up. <laughs> 
So it's, it's a lose-lose because you feel exhausted having to constantly be good and do your best all the time, but you also realize when you just go it on your own, you get chewed up by life anyways, and it's this exhausting circle. So where are we, what are we supposed to do? What's the right thing to do? It's because we view God as this instructor of lists, and really he's saying, all right, I know that doesn't work. I want to work on your heart. I want to make you understand me, and when you understand me in my heart for you, then when, I, then when you see, like, oh, I shouldn't steal. Like, it makes sense. It makes sense because you're like, no, I don't want to hurt people. I don't want to take advantage of people. The heart understanding makes all the difference. If you look, uh, one of my favorite Bible verses here is 1 Corinthians 2.16. And it says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And now this, this to me is like, shout out from the rooftops, because it's saying, who gets God completely? Who has a full readout of who God is and everything? And it's, this is in the Bible. They're pretty much saying, we don't get it. We don't have God's mind. We don't, we don't have all the answers, but we do have something. We have the mind of Christ. And what this means is, I don't know all the answers. I don't know everything, but I do know who Jesus is, and I operate out of that. It's like when you're starting a relationship, when you're dating someone, you get to know them. And I get to, you get to know their mind. You get to know I, they like their coffee black. They like their eggs over easy. They, they like to veg out after work, or they like to go for long walks, or when stress comes, give them the Ben and Jerry's, or when stress comes, watch a funny movie. When you get to know people, when you get to know their mind, then you're able to adjust your life to create this harmony that never was there before. So they're saying, you don't need to understand everything. You just need to spend time in relationship to understand the mind, to understand the heart, to understand the intention that God has. And then it makes sense. Suddenly, it makes sense. Bible verses that I looked at when I was a teenager that I was just like, this is cray-cray. Who, who believes this? When I understand who God is, I'm like, of course, of course this makes sense. Because God is a God of love. God is a God of grace and understanding. God is a God that wants the best for us. He doesn't want to keep things from us. Just like parents, when you tell your kids something, you want them to do it, and it's easier to do it when they know that it's coming from a place of love. I may not understand why my mom told me not to do this, but I know that she loves me and wants the best thing for me, so it's a lot easier to listen and to go with it. So I'd say if you, if you don't know how you feel about faith or don't, don't know all the details, all the facts about Christianity, that's okay. The most important thing is to think about starting a relationship, just being close to the source, keep coming, keep listening, keep drinking the free coffee and using the free childcare. It's cool. Building a relationship is what cre- with God is what creates that renewal. It takes the pressure off of us from doing good all the time to just being present and understanding God. Because when we build a relationship of love and trust with someone, then our actions change from that. I know not to do this because my husband would be upset with me if I, I don't know, I can't think of things. He's just wonderful. So he's back there. 
this, just putting that out there. But you know, you know to do things in a relationship out of love. Like, I know I'm not going to do this because it's going to hurt their feelings. I know I'm not going to do this because this doesn't benefit us. When we have a relationship with God, our, our hearts change, and then our actions change out of that. And that's so much better than being instructed. It's so much better than a to-do list. It's so much better than a thou and thou shall not because it's coming from relationship. It's coming from a place of love. So it's time when we focus on, I want to be a person of character. The number one thing you have to do is not, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. The number one thing you have to do is just make yourself available. Open up a door that maybe you've never had open or maybe you've had closed for 20, 30 years and say, all right, God, I'm just going to try this relationship thing out because it's not working out the way I've been trying it on my own. So as this series goes on, I'm going to challenge you guys to focus on renewing, to removing our old ways of thinking about people and situations and, fo- and realizing that the internal matters and realizing that what I'm focused on, in time, the character change will come. In time, if I continually to pursue a relationship with Christ, things will flow out of that and the change will take place. Why? Because a renewed mind, a renewed heart results in a transformed life. We're going to pray together. God, I just thank you that, uh, uh, that it's not about how good we can be. God, that it's about how good you are. God, that it takes the pressure, it takes the workload off of us constantly striving to, to meet some societal standard. And instead just says it's all about being close to you. And when we're close to you, when we see things how you see them, then we'll be able to actually respond how you would respond, God, that we'll be more gracious, more loving, less prideful people, God, and change, actual change will happen in our lives from the inside out. God, just give us the bravery maybe to crack that door open, even if it's only an inch. God, give us the the courage to pursue something that may seem uncomfortable or new. God, we we ask for that before we ask for anything else, because we know that We can change our habits, but God, until we change our heart and our perspective, Lord, nothing's going to change long term. So we we ask you to to make that clear in our lives and to be a a gentle reminder of that. And we, we thank you for the power to have real, internal, lasting change. In your name we pray. Amen.